what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 461. Now, there's a truth in the combatives world that a lot of martial artists still absolutely refuse to believe, and here it is. No matter how much you can make your training partner wince in pain when you are practicing that, that joint lock or that pressure move in that relaxed atmosphere of your local school, there are a number of individuals out there who, no matter how much you try and Steven Seagal their joints, they are not going to feel any pain. They simply won't be affected by your moves. But who are these pain-resistant attackers? And more importantly, how can you defeat them when you're forced to defend yourself against them? Well, that's the question that we posed to one of our network instructors, the legendary Lauren Christensen, in one of our members-only workshops that we did back in the days of the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants. For those of you that have been following us for that long, now, Lauren is a former police officer with over 25 years experience as a street cop, and he was one of the pioneers and most featured combatives trainers in the Paladin Press lineup. He had DVDs and books on everything from defeating dogs to absolutely brutal street fight techniques, and of course, how to defeat pain-resistant attackers. Now, for this week's show, we are digging back into our archives to pull out an in-depth members-only training event that we did with Lauren that was hosted by our old operations director, Buck Green. And there's some great actionable tips that you can get out of this. And you can grab a one-page cheat sheet from our workshop right there alongside our other podcast cheat sheets and a bunch of our other training guides, audios, and more, all absolutely free inside of our Warrior Life Loot Locker. All you have to do is go to warriorlife.com slash loot. Plus, please make sure you check out more of Lauren's training at his website at laurenchristensen.com. And now, let's talk tactics with Buck and Lauren. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. Lauren, I think pain resistance means different things to different people. I was wondering, how do you define a pain-resistant attacker, and what are some of the reasons a person might be or become pain-resistant? Well, the, the simplest definition is, is in the term. <laughs> the person is, is impervious to pain. He, he can resist pain. Um, to, get, to make it a little more complicated is some people are uh, resistant to any kind of pain, other people are resistant just to um, pain in a certain area. For example, I was, I was just thinking about this. That I had a student uh, for a while, and um, he was in his 60s. He, he quit when he turned about 64, I think. A little tough guy, which had nothing to do with his ability to withstand joint locks. And we, we could get him in any kind of a joint lock, wrist lock, elbow lock, and he would not feel it. He wasn't trying to be macho or trying to be tough. He simply could not feel it. I even had my instructor, who's who's a, a soke of the Aiki Jiu-Jitsu system uh, in San Francisco, would come up, and he applied some techniques on it, and the guy just looked at him. My student just looked at him. In fact, we agreed to, whenever one of my students was working with him, for him just to yield to the hold, because we might, might get a, a, a younger student or a new student who would get kind of excited and just really crank the hold on and possibly break his joint. But he could just simply could not feel um, pain techniques in his, in his wrists and elbows. But if you punch him in the chest or the stomach, you'd feel it like anybody else. But there's other people who are completely um, uh, tolerant of pain okay, or cannot feel pain. And they, they can range from uh, people who are under the influence of alcohol, heavily intoxicated. That does not mean that everyone who is intoxicated 
uh, can withstand pain. That's not the case at all. But some people can. Uh, they might be high on drugs. We've all heard the um, PCP stories of people who could um, withstand tremendous pain. Well, I remember there was even an incident in uh, my department, police department, <coughs> excuse me, where a guy fried his hand in a skillet, a red-hot skillet, fried his hand and, and, and without any kind of... Uh, uh, that pain at all. He probably felt it when he came off the door. You know? <laughs> but at the time he was frying, he didn't feel it one bit. Um, someone, people who are in a, a, a just over the top enraged, uh, their, their, their mental uh, faculty, their, whatever is going on within them allows them to tolerate pain. Um, mentally deranged people are often, often, um, can tolerate pain, as well as focus their strength. We've all heard the, the, the saying, well, I had the strength of 10 men. You know, he was so crazy. Uh, that's true. They can focus their strength, and they can tolerate pain. That's a tough adversary. And like you said, there are some people who, are, who, can, um, who like the pain. They can feel it. They simply like it, and they don't, uh, they don't uh, cooperate with you just because they're enjoying what you're doing to them. Uh, I only had one guy that was ever that way, and it was sort of weird. Um, the others are people who uh, are morbidly obese. You just can't get to those pain receptors, at least not to all of them. They may be, um, they may be able to tolerate pain, say, uh, in their solar plexus or their, their obese neck, uh, but they can feel pain someplace else. And the same is true of, of, um, of bodybuilders, big, heavy-duty, Lou Fregno, 300 pounds, of 4% body fat kind of guy who can tolerate pain. So it's um, the, the definition is pretty broad. Everything, every, every, from everything from the guy can feel absolutely no pain whatsoever to he can he can tolerate it in his wrist or he can tolerate it in his knee, you know, that sort of thing. So, what about people who are born without the ability to feel pain? Is is that uh, often a factor? I, I see things on TV about that once in a while. About the when you don't have that survival mechanism, things bad things happen to you because you don't know you're damaged. Right. Um, I have not had any experience with that. I um, I would imagine that that other people have, um, and it's it's the same thing. It's just it's like you're dealing with any of these other people here, and. Uh, the sad part of that is, is that that person can get seriously injured, um, because they're not yielding to the pain and giving up when they, when they, when they're feeling the pain. They just keep coming and coming and coming until they're, they're severely handicapped in some way. Now, the, the thing I always think of when I think of pain resistance is angel dust, PCP. You see that in movies all the time, and you used to see it referred to more often, probably because the drug isn't as popular now as it once was. Have you seen that before? Is that still a common thing? Yeah, this was um, I was talking about with a guy who could fight his hand, or um, we also had a guy in the PCP pulled his teeth out with pliers, um, had a guy call under a police car, he was handcuffed, got away from the officers, called under the police car, and then broke the handcuffs. And we're talking about, you know, everybody knows what handcuffs look like, and I don't know if he was, I'm assuming he was handcuffed behind his back because that's the, the policy. So you're talking about an action that requires um, the deltoid muscles, the outer deltoid muscles, pulling against that chain. And I, I don't remember now what the what the poundage is on the chain, but it's it's a tremendous poundage. And, Did and he actually broke bend the, the links of the connecting chain? Yeah, he broke wow. the handcuffs. And, uh, um, so he was not only 
because he tolerate the pain, because that hurts, you know, to pull against those handcuffs like that. Uh, but he, he, was, he had the ability to focus his strength to, to an incredible level. Now, we love cop stories here, and I was wondering, do you have another that you could share with us where you had to, in your law enforcement days, deal forcefully with a pain-resistant subject? Uh, I'm wondering what the scenario might have been, what didn't work for you, and then what you finally had to do to gain compliance over it. Uh, I had a couple that came to mind just because they're kind of unique. Um, I, I, I was 25 years in the, in the, in the Portland, Oregon, uh, police bureau, but I was also three years in the military police in the army and one year, uh, working patrol in Saigon, uh, Vietnam. And one time in Saigon, Vietnam, we got a call on a, on a disturbance right down in the core area. And when we got to the scene, it was nighttime. Uh, we found this utter bedlam of people lying all about the street, bleeding, moaning, screaming. People were running every direction. And in the center of this chaos was this giant man. And as I remember, he was Army. Um, could have been a Marine, but I believe he was Army. Didn't matter. Um, he's a black guy, and I'm six feet with my Army uh, boots on, and he was a head of, taller than me, so he was six five, six six, a monstrous guy, probably 280, 290, he had fat and muscles. It's a combination of both. But what, what made him particularly dangerous is he had a hammer, a ball team hammer, and he was just walking about the street, kind of walking in a straight line. Whoever got his path, he just beat him with his hammer. And he had, he had flipped out, like a lot of guys did over there, just totally flipped out. And um, other MPs are coming, but right now it was just my partner and I. My partner approached from the side, and I kind of did a Sylvester the Cat, you know, got behind the guy and jumped up to grab his, grab him in a, a neck hold. I didn't know, I was a brown belt at that time. I didn't know sleeper holds or, I didn't have, I had very little grappling skill. But it probably wouldn't have worked against the guy anyway. But I got him in a, a, a neck hold, and he just kept walking. Like my 195 pounds wasn't there. Yeah, I just kept walking. <laughs> it's one thing for something not to work. It's another thing to be ignored, you know. And so I'm holding on with one arm uh, like a guy, you know, hanging off the ledge of a building, and I'm starting to punch his back. It's the only target I got. I didn't know about kidneys, and I didn't know about liver in those days. Uh, I'm just punching as hard as I can. And I had, I'd been practicing about three years at that point. I was 24. I was young and strong. been lifting weight since I was 13. And I had a good punch, but I was landing him as hard as I could. And he just kept walking like I wasn't. I think at one point I even stopped and looked at my hand. And, and, and am I am I really doing this? Why he's not reacting? He just kept walking. And finally, my partner, I don't know what he was doing all that time. I was pummeling the guy to the point where my arm was starting to get tired and I was starting to weaken. He, my partner came out of out of my peripheral vision and just cold cocked the guy in the temple with his with his gun, with his 45, and the big guy just went straight down, and he was he was worthless. And, and all the MPs came, we got him chained up and all that, and, and took him away. Um, that was the first time where I ran into that. Where I thought about, it. I hadn't even considered that there are people who can tolerate pain, especially my punch. You know, my my young ego, my punch. I think because I had knocked guys down with that. I Earlier, it's a whole other story I won't get into, but earlier uh, in my Vietnam experience, I punched a Marine in the chest and gave him a heart attack. So I had a good punch, but it was not effective on this guy whatsoever. What was wrong with him that he didn't uh, notice? He was—he had just flipped out. I don't know if he was on drugs. We, 
over there, you take a guy to jail, you never see, see him again or hear from him again. So I don't know if he was flying on one of the many drugs that were available over there, or he had just flipped out mentally. And a lot of guys would, would just totally flip out from the stress and, the, you know, the, everything that goes into a war zone. Kind of like yeah. what we're seeing nowadays with guys coming back. Um, another case, and just very briefly, um, back Portland, uh, in, in, back in Portland, uh, we had a um, confrontation. We, the police, had a confrontation with about 30 outlaw bikers. And it was a code zero, which means everybody in the city responds. And it was a huge melee, Thanksgiving Eve. So remember, <laughs> Thanksgiving Eve. And we ended up arresting like 28, 29 of them. And I had, at one point, I had a guy, these were outlaw bikers, they weren't the Hells Angels, they were the Gypsy Jokers, which is, I don't know if they're still in the distance around here or not, but they were comparable to the, the Hells Angels. And I had a guy in a wrist lock, the arm behind the, the back, uh, it's, a, it's a common handcuffing position, uh, bending his, his hand, his palm, towards his wrist. Uh, and I, I was flexing it, the guy didn't react. I flexed it some more, and he didn't react, and he just kept... MFing me all over the place. I flex it some more, flex it some more. I go, what the heck? The guy wasn't drunk. He wasn't high. He just kept looking at me or, and, and just talking. And finally, I heard this noise that sounded like a 22 round, and it was his wrist bone breaking. And his <laughs> hand just gave. It, you know, it's like, uh, grab the other hand real quick. <laughs> Applied a wrist lock on that. And he yielded to that, but he didn't yield out of pain. He didn't want that one broken. What I would find out later is that these guys had a code or a creed where they would not show pain. And this guy was doing an excellent job. He just would not. So that's sort of a whole other category. He would not acknowledge the pain of that wrist lock. And that's a very painful wrist lock. Normally you put that on, guys come right up on their toes in an attempt to escape the pain. And that's where you want them because it makes them, it puts them off balance and you can move it easily. But this guy did not yield, did not yield until the bone broke. And it really sounds very loud when it breaks, by the way. <laughs> now, obviously, things have changed, and we'll get into legal repercussions a little bit later in the program. But right. were there were, were there consequences for breaking his wrist like that? or No, no, uh-uh. Because he was not cooperating. Yeah, he was, I was trying to get him, I was trying to get him, if I recall, I was trying to get him through a, a cell door, we taking him out to the, everybody out to the jail for this massive booking thing. I was trying to move him through a cell door and he was bulking, calling me names, but not, usually you put, you put that on and people just come right, I could say right up on their toes and they yelp. It was very painful. You're stretching all the tendons in the back of the wrist. And you can even add to that by tweaking the little finger in the opposite direction as you're bending your, you're bending the hand. So you have like two pains going on. Uh, he was just not reacting to that at all not cooperating, and then the bone break. No, I never heard a word about it. Wow. Um, this seems like a good point to talk about. Myths and misinformation associated with pain-resistant attackers. The the tremendous body of work you've, you've put out over the years and your vast experience in the martial arts, I should think you would be well-positioned to pass on and debunk some of the myths and misinformation about dealing with pain-resistant attackers. Well, um... Typically, when I was working on this book, I, I, I befriended somebody on Facebook, and this guy was a high-ranking jiu-jitsu guy, a 10th degree in whatever, I can't remember what it was. And, and I asked him, I said, what would you do if you were, if you were applying a wrist lock and the guy didn't feel it? 
And he goes, oh, if I apply your wrist lock, he's going to feel it. So I go, okay, that's kind of the typical response you get. Or I would hit him. Um, I said, well, he can't feel the pain. But I'd hit him really hard, but he can't feel the pain. And then whenever I, I, I sometimes I'll plug this book in Facebook and people say, well, the answer to that is to shoot him. Uh, and that isn't always the answer. And it's, it's a, if that's all you got, yeah, it, it is an answer. But it isn't always the answer. Um, I had two cases over my, my, the span of my career where people were shot five times in the head. One was a family fight in a service station and the other was a suicide, believe it or not. The woman shot herself five times in the head, head, still combative. One of our officers shot a guy as he was coming outside of a gun shop that he had just burglarized. The guy had a, a, a rifle that he had taken. The officer shot him dead in the heart. The guy ran, um, I, think, I had the, I wrote about it in one of the books, I can't remember which book, but it, he wrote, an, he ran another hundred and some feet before he collapsed and died. Can't always count on, on gunshots. You can't even always count on, on stabbing somebody that it's going to work. I had cases where people were stabbed and, and, and I remember a couple of cases where they didn't even know. I had a skinhead who was gut punched. He thought he'd been punched by the guy he was fighting with, just punched in the stomach several times. The guy had actually, it was one of these um, T-shaped blades. I don't know what oh, you like call them. Like a um, Yeah, and the guy just he got up nice and close. The guy probably done some joint time. It's a typical prison type of technique. Gets up real close. It's just a boop, 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 repeatedly in the stomach. And then somebody said, the cops are coming, and he took off, leaving the guy rubbing his stomach. He said, man, that hurt. And somebody goes, hey, man, you're bleeding. And he looks at these guys punch holes all through, all around his up and then he had been stabbed. Um, my partner and I took a case, uh, a call on a, on a fight downtown. We got there, the, the, the party, the first party, one of the parties had already left, just left one guy standing there with a bloody lip. And I asked him, I said, what's going on? And he said, oh, my wife and I were fighting in a tavern and we decided to take it out of the tavern and walk back to our place. And she punched me in the mouth. And so we're talking to him for four or five minutes, getting his information, his name, date of birth. This whole time he's talking to us. He's about a three-quarter turn facing us. At one point, he either moved or I, I moved. I can't remember which. And he could see the right side of his face was all bloody. And we, I said, turn around here a little bit. He turned over, and his ear was gone. And my children, my partner says, dude, your ear's gone. <laughs> He goes, what? He reaches up there and he goes, you're right. And he said, must have been, she must have cut me. And he hadn't told us at that point that she, after she punched him, she pulled a knife and took a couple swipes at him. He was so drunk that he didn't realize that she had indeed made contact with him and sliced his ear completely off. My, pa- my partner found it under a car. And he gave it to the ambulance people. The ambulance people came. This guy did not know he had been, the ear had been sliced completely clean just leaving the hole, in, the hole in the side of his head. So um, people say, well, you can shoot him, you can knife him. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, of course, it's all about shot placement. It's all about where you stab him and that sort of thing. But um, I guess the most common belief is that you you can do what you've been, you've been doing and just maybe just do more of it. Well, I hit him here, it didn't hurt him, so I'm going to hit him there a bunch more times. 
And that happens a lot in a real fight anyway. People get under stress. They, and I can't remember, there's a psychological term for it. It's when the, um, it's when the crowd in, in the bar all run for the door when there's a fire and the, and the door's locked and everybody just keeps turning the knob over and over and over. You know, it's the same thing in a fight. I hit him here. He doesn't fall down. So I'll hit him there. I just keep hitting him over and over and over and over. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to change it. You got to have a plan B. And that's what fighting the pain is and talking about is having a plan B. And if even the, if your first plan B in the book doesn't work, then you go to a plan C. Trying to find a place where this guy, um, doesn't, it's not about feeling the technique. It's about reacting to the technique. And, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but reacting to the technique in such a way that he either loses consciousness, he becomes discombobulated, he loses his vision, he becomes confused, or he collapses to the ground. Not out of pain, but because you hit a target that causes those effects. That's kind of all over the place. I don't know if I answered your question there, but. Yeah, well, I think we're talking about the failure of the pain resistant attacker to feel pain may also be the failure of the pain-resistant attacker to perceive physical trauma, stuff that would stop right. ordinary people. Right. Yeah, and so, so you've got to change, if you, and you've got to get beyond that. Um, I, got, I just keep hitting him in the same place, and you need to hit one of the many places that I list in the book. Those will help you. Those will, will um, have an effect on the guy. Let me just give you an example. The brachial plexus is one of my favorites. The brachial plexus is on each side of a person's neck. If your Adam's apple is centered, which it is for most people, the brachial plexus is halfway to the halfway point. So if the halfway point is right down on your neck, it's halfway down to the earlobe, the halfway point between the, uh, the Adam's apple and the, and the halfway point of your neck. So it's about a quarter of the way back on the neck. It's a, the brachial plexus is a cluster of nerves, and you can just poke that with your fingers, and you'll find that spot. And um, I've seen many guys, I don't, I don't watch mixed martial arts, I can't stand the stuff, but every once in a while I'm going through the cable, and I'm like, okay, this guy looks good, I'll watch him. I've seen many guys go down in mixed martial arts because they caught a roundhouse kick, usually with a shin, or they caught a good hard punch in that brachial plexus. Uh, we don't teach it on the PD here, but I know of other PDs. I know they used to teach it in New York PD. I don't know if they still do or not. Um, I, when I first wrote about it, actually, I, I put it in a, in a DVD I did a few years ago, and uh, I, wanted to be a, I wanted to explain in the DVD what it felt like. So I had a student hit me, and I, I positioned myself so that my, I was right up. Uh, I was in front of a sofa with my back to the sofa. I didn't want to fall on the cement floor. So I went backwards to the sofa, and I sat, me on, I sat on a scale of 1 to 10, Hit me a two. No, make that a one and a half. <laughs> Hit me the brachial plexus and use your form. And he did. And I just immediately just fell down on my rear. And this flash of light, like somebody popped a, um, like a, took a flash picture in my face. I had this blinding headache and I lost it. He hit me on the right side and I, I could not move my right arm for about 20 seconds. That's typical. Whatever side you hit on, you, you, you um, I explained in the book by, um, I have a friend who's a third degree black belt in Taekwondo, but he's also a medical surgeon in the army. He's currently, right now he's in Afghanistan. He's doing tour, but he talked about how you, even if you can't feel that, you will lose use of that arm for X number of seconds. In my, in my case, being hit about a two, I lost it for about 20 seconds. He said my eyes roll like a, 
like a slot machine. <laughs> and I, in my mind, I was trying, I was sending a message to my arm, move, but my arm wasn't picking it up. It wasn't getting in. And it, like I said, it took about 20 seconds. The headache lasted about 45 minutes. Um, it's a great technique. It requires that you, it's, it works best when you hit it with a dead hand technique. You just sink, you hit it. Uh, I like to hit it with my forearm. You can hit it with the bottom of your fist. I suppose you could hit it with a fist if a guy has a long enough neck. And you, you don't want to hit it with a snap technique. You want to hit it with a dead hand where you penetrate that ventral plexus for about three quarters of a second. Longer it isn't more effective. Less is, is, is possibly less effective. Uh, that said, a friend of mine who's a high-ranking Goju guy and a jiu-jitsu guy said he hit his co-teacher um, just a couple of years ago, hit him with a snapping back fist there, and I just dropped the guy right to the floor. And he said that was the first time he realized that it does work with a snap, too. Um, but typically, uh, the way I've always taught it is you hit it with a dead hand and you leave it on target for about three-quarters of a second to let that pain, let that effect, rather, sink into that cluster of nerves. It's a real nasty technique. You hit, I can't imagine being hit with a four or five. And those guys in a mixed martial arts who are catching a roundhouse kick, they're kicking it, they're catching it probably on the way down. The guy's foot arcs up and then he, he comes down with it, are um, getting hit with a, you know, a six, seven, or eight, and they just go down like a sack of spuds. <laughs> so that's, a, that's typical of hitting a spot where the guy may not have felt it, but he goes down. There's a lot of targets like that. Well, I, I want to come back to those targets, but before we do, are there are there indicators or ways of telling if you might be dealing with someone who's in a pain-resistant state before you get to the point where you're hitting them and they're not reacting? Are there any telltale signs? You know, I, I thought a lot about that, and, and there really isn't. I, there, there were times, I suppose, when I was getting ready to deal with a guy, and I, I bet this guy is going to talk, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't handle it any differently. Um, and I had nothing to go on. It was just a gut feeling. But um, the the straight answer on that would be no until you've done something to him. You grab him. You've got the guy. He's acting like a fool in a bar. You want to escort him out of the bar, and you grab him, get him in a wrist lock, and he just looks at you. Or he just, you know, if you once you lock a joint on, it's really hard to to get out of that hold once it's locked on. Excuse me. Uh, guys get out of it before it's locked down, before it's locked all the way in. But once it's locked, it's real tough, unless you don't feel pain. Then it's a matter of just straightening that joint. If you're flexing the guy's palm towards his wrist, he just straightens that wrist up. Or he just bends his arm if you're doing an arm bar on him. You put pressure on his elbow. Um, then you know, okay, i got a guy here who's used to tolerate pain. And then you want to change your tactic. And, you know, kind of a little sidebar here. You don't always have to hit a target to to drop him. You can, if you're a grappler, uh, what, what I teach you, if you, we apply different kinds of joint locks and, and that sort of thing. And if the guy isn't reacting to that, he's drunk, he's high, he's not feeling that, then you shift to a leverage technique that doesn't... Uh, that, that, that doesn't rely on pain and then dump it down on the ground and then you, and then you take off or you lock them up or something or, or then you hit a, a more vulnerable target. You don't always have to hit one of these targets. 
you don't always have to gouge the guy's eye. You don't always have to kick the perineal nerve on the thigh. Uh, you can just um, dump the guy on the ground. It doesn't, you know, it does. It, it, that's a, it's not pain that takes him down. It's just loss of balance. It's loss of leverage, and you take him down. Um, so I just want to get that out there. You don't always have to destroy the guy, to, you know, just because he doesn't feel pain. Your your objective to jump to kind of back to where you're talking about the legality. Your objective is to get away from the guy. When the police arrive at your fight scene, they're going to ask you, "Did you have an avenue of escape? Could you have ran? Could you have gotten away?" If you did, they're going to say, why did you take it? Why did you choose to stay there and fight? And that's not the first guy that's going to ask you that. The DA is going to ask you that. And then the judge is going to ask you that. And the prosecuting attorney is going to ask you that. So if you've got a way to get away from that guy who can't feel pain, take that avenue of escape. If you can't, then you're going to have to deal with the guy. So Well, that, uh, that brings up it. an interesting question, Lauren. Since the <laughs> level of force you might have to use on a pain-resistant attacker might look excessive to someone on the outside. Um, is there any legal advice we can apply to this so that you can defend your actions and defend yourself in court and when talking to that DA after the you know the legal ramifications start to filter in? Well, it's all about, first of all, it's what's going on, the reality of what's going on. You can't get away. You have tried something. You have tried a wrist lock or you tried to or you drill the guy in the chest and he just uh, wiped his chest like he, he's got some dust on his shirt. Uh, you realize this guy can't feel pain. Or maybe through a second technique or a third technique, this guy can't feel pain. He, he keeps coming. You don't have an avenue of escape. You can't get away. Then yeah, you can jump up the force, the level of force. And that's just the case. Have you ever reached the point where kind of force is appropriate in that sort of situation? I'm sorry, what, what was that again? Would you ever reach a point where lethal force might be appropriate in that sort of situation? Um, sure. If the guy just keeps coming and coming. Um, I have a book. Uh, my gal and I did a book called Fight Back. It's self-defense for women. And it, it, I lead it with a story that happened here in Portland of a, a woman, a, a nurse, 52 years old, big, big heavyset gal, worked in ER for 25 years, used to wrestling guys around. Long story, real, real quick, she came home late at night, walked in, a hitman jumped her. Her husband had hired a hitman to kill her, guy right out of the joint. He attacked her with a hammer. She fought, she fought, she fought, got the hammer away from him, hit him a couple times with the hammer. She got, he got the hammer back. They're on the ground. He's punching her. She's punching him. Uh, everything she was doing wasn't working. She finally got him in a chokehold and choked him to death. No problem. Um, you know, grand jury, not a problem. Um, everything she had done, it, it, you know, it, she was a woman too, so that might have had an alleged there, but everything she had done had not stopped this guy. This guy, he wanted his 10,000 bucks, and he just kept coming and coming, even after being hit with a hammer a couple times, until she got those big beefy arms of hers on him and choked him to death. Um, yeah, if, if all else is failing, and you can articulate Anybody, and it, yeah, I could say you can articulate that your life's in danger. You thought you were going to be killed, and it has to be. You have to convince people. You can't just say, "Yeah, I thought my my life was was in danger. I was going to be killed." And and okay, the, you know, the DA's going, "Oh, okay, that's fine." Then no, you got to have to articulate, and you have to prove it with witnesses, um, with the evidence at the scene, all that. If, if if all that is is good on your side, then yeah, you can use lethal force. Sure. If, 
you don't have to die. You know, you can use lethal force. Is there, it, will, will it be a cakewalk for you? No. It's going to be a grand jury. You, you may end up in court. You're probably going to get sued civilly, um, you know, the whole, whole shebang. But, uh, yeah, if, if you have no other options and you've exhausted your options, you don't have an avenue escape, sure, you can use deadly force. What about, Lauren, approaching each potential physical altercation as with the mindset, this guy might be paint-resistant. Is that going overboard? Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, or, you, you know, you can use these techniques. These techniques aren't limited to just when the guy can't feel pain. For example, the, the perineal nerve, that's a, that's a nerve that runs down the outside of your thigh, easily, the outside of your thigh. If you're wearing pants with, military pants with stripes, that perineal nerve is, is right under that stripe. It starts at your hip and goes all the way down your ankle, but it's most vulnerable between your hip and your knee, and and it's even more vulnerable about a third of the way down from your hip. You can, if you're standing, you can just jab that with your fingers. You can feel that. Um, you look on uh, YouTube. You can't run perineal because people, most people don't even know what that is. But I've I've seen a lot of fights on uh, YouTube where guys were dropped with that kick. Uh, mixed martial artists, um, you see, I see mar- mixed martial artists, uh, drop from it. It's mixed martial arts fights. Um, sometimes you'll see them take a lot of shots. That's for a couple of reasons. They don't, the shot isn't quite hitting the perineal nerve. It's either, either, either too far to the front or too far to the back or, um, they've just taken a lot of shots in training and they've built up a certain tolerance, but, You'll see them as the, as the fight wears on. You'll see that leg start to favor that leg more and more and more. And pretty soon, it doesn't take much of the shot for that leg just to to crumple out. But the average guy goes down pretty hard and pretty fast. It's just like you hit a delete button on that on that leg. Now, uh, before we come back to these effective targets, I want I'm curious about the things that we might be inclined to do that don't work. Well, what would you say would be the top three techniques that the average person, even an experienced martial artist or police officer, might try to use against a pain-resistant attacker that probably wouldn't work? Probably hitting harder and harder. I hit him here. That didn't work. It's kind of that thing I was talking about when you uh, keep trying to uh, open the locked door in the burning building. Um, I hit him here. Then he works. I'll hit him again. Okay, now I'm getting nervous, so I'll hit him again two more times. You just keep hitting that same spot over and over and over. It's the old, uh, you know, the definition of insanity. Um, that's the most common thing um, that I see. Instead of you hit a couple, three times, the guy just keeps coming at you like uh, you know, like a zombie um, and, and switching to a plan B. The guy is tolerating that. I need to hit a more vulnerable target. Collecting yourself, hitting a more, and then hitting a more vulnerable target, the perineal nerve, the brachial plexus, going for the eyes, uh, going for the, the, the nerve point just above the kneecap, that sort of thing. Uh, pain compliance holds. We think because they hurt us in class, they're going to hurt on us too. Many times I've found that the pain compliance techniques just didn't hurt. Now, some people say pain compliance or joint locks, that's a bunch of crap. Where they're wrong. Either that or their joint techniques are a bunch of crap. You know, the old saying, Aikido doesn't work. Well, your Aikido doesn't, mine does. And I said, joint locks will work, but everyone, but there are people that, that just won't feel them. So instead of trying to squeeze it harder and harder and harder, 
and what's what's the, what's the ultimate outcome? You break the joint like I did. Now I I let go of the guy and grabbed his other hand. Uh, if if I had panicked and and just kept um, you know compressing that guy's joint, it probably would have caused some permanent damage. Then that lawsuit you were talking about would have kicked in. Um, because I heard it, I was aware that the joint broke, and, and I just kept pushing. I could have really gotten jammed over, up over that. Um, but if a pain compliant, if a wrist lock's not working, what else do you have in your repertoire? If, if it's a grappling situation, take him off balance and dump him and take your avenue of escape. Don't drop down and do some elbow lock on him. Don't get out of there. You know? um, those are the two, the two big ones. Uh, the third one is uh, groin shots. Groin shots drop us like sacks of potatoes in class. On the street, I have found them to be less successful. Uh, I, I, I used maybe, on uh, PD, I probably kicked three guys. One was a cop. <laughs> An <laughs> undercover cop. I didn't know, I didn't know him. I didn't know he was undercover. He came out of my shirt and I just dropped him. Um, I took, I got kicked. I had two weeks before I retired. There was a wanted guy out in the lobby. I went out to help a, uh, another guy arrest him. The guy started fighting. It wasn't a big guy. He was thickly built, muscular, probably three inches shorter than me. Um, but we were all over the place. We were banging against the wall, over the benches, on the tables, the whole smear. At one point, I got a wrist lock on him. I put it on. He didn't feel it. So I just slammed it home. He leaped up in the air. And on the way up, he caught me in the groin with his knee. He wasn't deliberately kneeing me in the groin. He just went up in the air. I felt it. Uh, we fought some more, probably another two minutes. We finally got him down on the ground, under control, got him cuffed, got him in the back in the holding cell, maybe five or six minutes after I got kneed, shut the holding cell. Then the nausea came on. Then, the you know, the legs turned to water. Uh, but this was six or seven minutes after, and it was a straight-on, hard kick done by a guy who was going airborne with his knee. Um, they don't always work. Uh, what I teach my students is kick the groin, but then keep kicking, uh, kick them again or follow up with other techniques. Don't kick the groin and stand back. You know, they, we think that because we got nailed in class, everybody's going to drop to the ground like we did in class. It's a whole different set of, a whole different type of adrenaline on the street uh, than it is in class. <clears throat> and guys can tolerate it. It's a real, it's a real error, real mistake, I think, for teachers teaching these women's self-defense classes to groin as an end-all technique. It's not an end-all technique. Right, not a hit magic it. off if switch. It, no, it's a, hit it if it's open, hit it, but then hit someplace else. You know, just keep hitting, keep hitting until the guy drops or you are, can maneuver around where you have that avenue of escape and get out of there. Those are the three that come to mind. Well, let's uh, get into then what the stuff that does work. If we could identify, let's say, the five best targets for pain-resistant uh, uh, attackers, I would be happy. You mentioned two of them already. You mentioned, uh, first let's talk about the brachial plexus, that spot on the neck that's sort of halfway between the halfway point. Uh, the, is the reason that works because it's, an attack on the nerve, or is it that you're disrupting blood flow to the brain? Why does that work? I think it's a little all that. It's actually a cluster of nerves. You've got two or three uh, nerve clusters. You probably have more than that. Uh, nerve clusters in the body. That's the one that works the best that I found for, for dumping somebody fast. You have another one 
uh, right where your leg, uh, the inside of your leg connects to the pelvis, right next to kind of Mr. Happy there. That's not a drop point particularly, um, but you, uh, it's not a pain technique, but you can jab that. That was a technique I used to use to get guys to bend who wouldn't bend to get to sit down in the back seat of the police car. You jab that with your fingers and the guy, most guys will bend forward if you hit it just, if you hit the right spot. It's an easy one to miss. But that's also a, a cluster of nerves. But the perineal, uh, the, um, the, uh, the, uh, brachial plexus on the side of the neck is a cluster of nerves that's, it's highly vulnerable. And in fact, I, um, Monday, one of my students was coming in for just a neck hook takedown on me and he slammed that, uh, home so so solidly that uh, that I kind of got weakened for a second because he hit that brachial plexus just right. Now, that wasn't his objective, but he got it. Well, I don't think it was his objective, but <laughs> he so it, got it, it just right. Like, it seems to me like the best strike for the brachial plexus then might be a, an edge of hand blow, a forearm smash, something that comes in laterally against that target. Is that more or less right. correct? Yeah. And you then saw a right punch at me. You throw a right punch at me. I block with two hands, kind of a shield block off to my off to my left side. Then I take my right forearm, the little finger side of my forearm, and I just slide, basically slide it right down your arm. Uh, if I don't slide it on your arm, I, I I move it in that direction anyway, and just bam right into that brachial plexus, and then and I hit it hard, keeping there for three quarter seconds. You can also step to the outside, and you can whip your arm. And in sort of a hook type fashion and, and get it, uh, hit that brachial plexus with the thumb side of your form. So you're kind of whipping it in kind of a roundhouse fashion in that brachial plexus. I like to get behind the guy, grab his face or his forehead or his eye sockets, pull the head back and you can explode and, and off to the side a little bit. Say I grab with my left hand and from behind, pull that neck off to the, that head off to the side a little bit to the left and Take your fist and just slam that exposed right side right in that brachial plexus. And you hit, it's kind of hard to turn your, your hand so you're hitting with the heel side. So hit it with the thumb side. Make sure your thumb's out of the way. And you pound it, just pound it two, four times. If you're hitting that just right, third or fourth time, that guy's down. He's going to be down. So now very, the second uh, spot we talked about movement. was, um, or maybe it was the third spot, was that that junction of where the leg and the pelvis are, and you mentioned using a, like a fingertip strike there to, to jab into that, that nerve. Yeah, a jab. It's not a jab to hurt, but a jab to make him buckle. And it's just a, um, it's a device to get somebody to bend. There's a thing called a somatic reflex arc. Fancy word that I was doing stuff that was the somatic reflex arc for years, and I didn't know it had a name until um, a policeman friend, a, a, state, a, a policeman in Florida who's a 50-year martial art guy, um, told me about it when I was working on this book. And I already knew about it. I just knew the name. Somatic reflex arc is, is, a, is a thing that makes a person react in a certain way. It's a kind of a universal. The, the easiest way, if I jab your in the eyes, it doesn't matter if you're from Illinois or from Africa or from China. It doesn't matter. You're going to, your head's going to snap back and you're going to reach up with your hands, even if you don't feel the pain. I don't know how many people don't feel an eye jab, but, uh, but the natural reflex is to, is to jerk your head back and jerk your hands up towards your, up towards your, um, your eyes. That leaves him open. 
that leaves him open for other things. You can move in. You can do a, a, a double knee hook, dump him down on his back. You can come in with that roundhouse kick to the to the, the side of the thigh. You can do you can hit that brachial plexus. You can do all kinds of stuff because of that universal response to getting poked in the eye. Now, if you got a weird guy that that reacts differently, maybe he buckles forward. That's fine. You got a reaction out of the guy. Besides the reaction, that, that buckling, his body moving either back or forward or to the side, his eyes are going to water like crazy, and his vision is going to be impaired, and that gives you an opportunity to take that avenue of escape or to follow up with something else. If he buckles forward, grab his shoulders, grab his hair, and just jerk him forward down onto his belly. You're taking advantage of that somatic reflex arc. You can, if you kick somebody in that peroneal nerve on the side of the thigh, he might buckle, he will buckle us slightly to that side. If you're a good grappler, move in and, and apply a technique that takes him in that same direction. Right, so target number three would be the perineal nerve, and that's typically going to be a kick in, in this. Yeah, the perineal nerve is going to be, you know, yeah, a kick, it can be a stomp, it can be a punch. If you're, if you already dumped the guy, so you dump the guy down on, and he lands on his, um, it doesn't matter, he lands on his left side so that his right thigh is kind of braced by his left leg. You can just jack your knee up and just drop your heel, just slam your heel right down in that peroneal nerve. Are there, um, uh, can we come up with any more good targets for uh, pain-resistant attackers? The, the liver is, is an excellent, is excellent, uh, and it applies to the somatic reflex arc. Um, I, I write um, blogs for um, Paladin Press, and I wrote one a couple, three months ago. You can find it on their on their site there, it's, um, I put a videotape on there of 10, I, I can't remember now, but I think it was 10 knockdowns in mixed martial arts of guys getting hit in the liver. Kicks, shin kicks, ball of the foot kicks, and left hook punches. Um, and what happens there is that liver, even if the guy doesn't feel pain, he's going to react by bending, kind of jerking his body to his right, the liver's on the right side. It's not on the left side. So a lot of people think so. It's on the right side only. I even read in a book the other day some guy's been hit in the left, liver on the left side. No, it's not there. Uh, you want to drive that punch or that kick at a slight upward angle, so you're hitting right below the right below that floating rib. Although you can hit all the way up to the the nipple, it works. It's most effective right around that floating rib. Hit at a slight upper angle, like you're going to you're trying to kick the opposite shoulder via all the way through his body and that liver gets squished and those pain those um not the pain it hurts if you can feel the pain it hurts like it's worse to get into groin i think if you don't feel the pain your body's still going to yield to that side it's going to buckle to that side that's a somatic reflex arc again reach up grab the side of his face and just jerk it right straight down to the ground in that direction why does the liver shot work exactly? Is it the body perceives the trauma even if you don't feel the pain? Yeah, and you know, I, I've seen a book, and quite frankly, I haven't, it's been a while since I looked at that, and I don't remember why, and my doctor friend gives an explanation on that, why it yields, why it yields it. And it's kind of interesting, it's, um, there's a delay. Uh, if you look at that tape, everybody that gets hit, there's about a Two to five seconds, I think there's even one guy who went like six or seven seconds, six or seven seconds before that reaction kicks in. Then all of a sudden you just see him go, Ugh, and they just kind of jackknife over to that side 
and down they go. You can also get, if you take them down, you can stomp it. Stomp it anywhere in that rib. Uh, it's, this, this, the, the liver is not without its danger. Uh, it, you know, if you have a powerful punch or you hit him just right or his, his ribs are stretched just right or you stomp it when he's down on the ground, there's a potential for cracking or breaking a rib off and that rib punches that liver. Um, there's a good chance that he may not survive that. So it's dangerous. Right, and you said the liver's on the right, meaning my right, like my liver's on my right side? Yeah, you're right. So if I was to hit your liver, I have to do a left hook. Right, or just in position to, you know, off to the side. Yeah, or or do left knees or that sort of thing, or a left. um, I I don't kick with the top of my foot, any kind of roundhouse kick. I kick with a shin, so you have that hard bone just penetrating right into that floating, underneath that floating rib. At an upper angle, you think of a diagonal line from your, your lower right liver up to the left shoulder, and you're kicking that liver. You're trying to kick that other shoulder by way of a liver. Yeah. <laughs> it's very powerful. <laughs> Any other uh, targets we should cover before we move on? Uh, well, you have um, the one that's kind of hard, but it works like a charm when you can get it. It's a, it's a nerve right above the kneecap. You can get the kneecap, and if you can really really drill that kneecap, that leg may give out. You hear all this stuff where it's 14 pounds of pressure in the knee breaks. I don't know anybody who's gotten a, no, a broken knee. Uh, none of my martial art friends have ever said, I kicked guys' knees, and it didn't break the knee. So maybe your listeners know, I don't know, uh, how much pressure it takes. But uh, there, is an, uh, a, there is a nerve point, and it's just right above the patella, the kneecap, you kick that thing, you kick that point, and that, again, it's like that delete button. I've been kicked there, didn't feel the kick, just in training, and go right, and it went right to the ground. It's a real weird sensation. It's like there's all of a sudden you don't have a leg there. That one's a little harder to get. I would definitely use the edge of your foot on that. The other are neck targets. The, the, um, the, the Adam's apple. It'll affect this guy's ability. That if you've been hit in the throat, you know it feels like you just swallowed a pickup truck. Yeah, it's, it's real hard to swallow. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if the guy doesn't feel the pain. You have the brachial plexus that we talked about on the back. You have the back of the neck is real vulnerable. Getting hit there can, even if you may, even if you don't feel it, can flatten the person out. I got hit there, bent over one time, and the person just hit me right on the back of the neck, and I just went, bam, just flattened out on the on the floor. But above that is the occipital protuberance. <laughs> it's that rigid bone. I can't remember there. Occipital protuberance, external protuberance, I think it's called. It's a real mouthful to chew. Um, it's that ridge there, and that's also a very highly vulnerable place. That's a great place if you're in a clinch. You and I are clinching. And if I get my arm, say I get my arm free, you weaken your grip on my arm for just a second. I'm going to shoot that arm out behind your head like I'm punching somebody behind you. And then I'm going to draw on my bicep muscles to just whip my hand back as hard as I can, hitting with that thumb side of my fist again into that bony ridge. That can cause dizziness, discombobulation, disorientation, that sort of thing. If you feel it, it really hurts. If you don't feel it, you still get those effects. Those are a really good targets, and of course the eyes. Um, are there some common self-defense tools, uh, getting into weapons a little bit here, that really rely more on pain compliance than we might think? Uh, the thing that springs readily to mind is the kubaton, which you would use with a variety of 
joint locking techniques, or at least that's taught by some. Uh, obviously, that's much more of a pain compliance technique than just striking with the end of it would be. But I'm thinking in some cases there are a lot of weapons that are really just pain compliance tools. Um, yeah, um, my favorite is sickle. <laughs> it's a comma. Japanese sickle. Um, I teach the the Cooper Tom. I teach. I, I, we call it the Yawara. It's just from the Japanese. It's the same thing. Um, you, the, the advantage you have there is you have the the capability of focusing the pain more. Instead of using, say, the four inch edge of your palm, you're using a one inch diameter circuit or a Cooper Tom's much smaller than that. Um, if the guy doesn't feel that then you're going to have to jump ahead to one of these other targets. You can take that Kubaton and strike something to break your plexus. That's pretty dangerous. You better be justified to use that kind of force. Take that Kubaton and slam him in the Adam's apple. Again, be justified. In the eyeball, you need to right. articulate. You need to survive your time in court on that. It's pretty lethal. So it's, you're not, you, you wouldn't use that kind of technique because you're arguing with somebody over a parking space. You, you're in Fear for your life, for your you know your spouse's life, your kid's life, whatever. So, um, um, yeah, the, um, any kind of striking instrument. Uh, you know, you have to check the laws in your state. In Oregon, you could carry um, a, it's called a slugging device. You could carry an arnie stick, for example, um, and you can use that as a takedown if you have somebody who can't feel pain. Uh, you can apply, apply leverage techniques quite easily with Arnie sticks and take them down to the ground. Or you can you know, grab both ends of that Arnie stick and just slam that, thrust that forward like you're doing a real hard bench press, slam that right into the brachial plexus, or slam that into the, the um, perineal nerve on the side of the leg. Uh, yeah, it just, it just helps. You know, so. Are people who are pain resistant, are they also typically resistant to things like uh, less lethal weapons like pepper spray and stun guns, that sort of thing. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, Rodney King, you know, took a took a couple of uh, um, shots of, of the uh, the taser, you know, however many thousands of bullets that he just kept fighting. Um, um, pepper spray. Uh, when we the pepper spray first came on the scene, they, they told us this stuff is like. It's like alien, man. This is awesome. This is this will stop sharks. This will stop bears. Very quickly, we found that not to be the case. That it worked in um, in the in the fight back work. I put the percentage in there. Quite frankly, I can't remember. Um, it works something like it works in seventy eight percent of the time. So it means that twenty percent of the time it doesn't work. And that's pretty much what the guys on the, the cops on the street found. That they um, that and and it, 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 they don't have to be. High or loaded, there were cops in training. Some cops in training uh, were in classes where everybody had to get pepper sprayed, uh, could eat it and just keep right on coming. So yeah. you, you don't have to be a mental or, you know, or any of, the, any of these other uh, criteria to, to tolerate pain, to tolerate pepper spray. Uh, whether, if, whether it would work on somebody like that, I don't know. Uh, it does shut down the breathing capability. So that might be a, a real viable tool on somebody who can't, uh, can't feel paid if you affect their breathing. Why that doesn't work on everybody, I don't know. Don't know. Well, I guess what we're getting down to, Lauren, is are pain-resistant attackers truly a, a category of self-defense event that people can really train to defend against? 
what would you say the best way to train specifically for this dangerous scenario might be? Well, the good news, and, and uh, I work in some pretty high crime areas. I work what's called Skid Row. They don't, most towns don't have Skid Row anymore, but it's they were like a Wild West show. And um, and I worked gangs for, for for four years and got into lots and lots of beefs. And the good news is um, I didn't run into that many people who could tolerate pain. You know, maybe I've had to grab a number. I'd probably say a dozen. Um, it could be a little more than that or, or a little less. Um, so are they a whole category? No, but it's certainly something you should consider. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe a drill. I guess a drill that we've done sometimes is, okay, I, I throw a punch at you. I throw a couple punches at you. You block, block, and you throw a cup, a counter at me. You throw a kick uh, to my stomach, and you throw a, a shin kick uh, to one of my legs. And we do that five or six times. Nice drill. Get faster, faster, stronger, stronger. The teacher yells out, uh, Buck, he doesn't feel the pain. So the next time you do that, you do the same combo, a couple of punches, a couple of kicks. Ah, he doesn't feel the pain. I keep coming. You switch to one of these other techniques. That would be one way to draw it. Right, so mentally or, programming yourself to switch tactics. Yeah. Or the other thing is, uh, you know, I teach my students that we – we don't just hit what I call general targets. You know, I block your punch and I ch- I punch at your upper body somewhere. And my students do that. I say, don't do. What are you hitting? You're just hitting. You're hitting this general thing. I don't know what. I don't, it's not even a specific target you hit. Uh, so I thought, gotta hit specific targets. Make that your goal every time, uh, or as many times as you can. You always hit the solar plexus. You always hit the kidneys. You always hit the liver. You always, uh, we do a lot of clawing. We claw the eyes. We claw the face. We claw, if the guy's a T-stone, we claw the nipples. I talked about that last time uh, we, we talked on here. Nipples are extremely excruciating. Get your nipples clawed. I punch you in the chest three times. You don't feel it. I claw your nipple. You're going to feel it unless you're, you're totally pain resistant. Um, so is just make that a factor in your training that you you're always not just throwing a kick at the leg, not just throwing a punch at the stomach, but you're aiming for the solar plexus, you're aiming for the bladder, you're aiming for the the nipple, the Adam's apple. Every time you every time you throw a technique. I asked. I have a friend who's a, a mixed martial arts coach in uh, Los Angeles, and I said uh, I was working on his book, and I said, why don't you guys Aim for some of these, and some of these targets are, are legal, of course. You can't claw eyes and you can't, you know, groin hits and all that kind of stuff. I said, why don't you guys aim for some of these other targets? And he said, they don't, he said, they just don't think about it. We don't train for it. Now this, I'm not making a general statement. This is just what he said. He said, we don't train for it. And then he kind of said, most of the guys are interested in getting a ring girl anyway. They're not even thinking about that stuff. So, um, there's that, you know, but, um, he just, uh, but when I've watched the occasions when I will come across it when I'm, when I'm doing a little scrolling on TV and when I see those taken hard, uh, those, those specific targets hit, there is a, rela- a reaction. And, you know, it's that these guys don't aim for those targets more often. For example, uh, if you're in a guard and, and the guy's legs are on each side of you, you're, you're right in the center of his guard. Just bury your elbow on the inside of his thigh. You'll get a guy, that guy will confess to anything. Uh, I saw that, 
I saw that happen the other day, and it makes my heart. My ears totally back. And the guy's trying to get out. He's trying to claw his way up to get to the guy's head. He he digs in his his elbows right into that guy's inner thigh, and that guy just jackknifed up in a straight up position. Um, you know, there's an example right there. Now, hitting the inside thigh, kicking the inside thigh doesn't have that effect, the same effect, but gouging it does. That's a gouging technique, perfectly legal. This has been extremely interesting, Lauren. I, I found this very educational and a topic that is not often covered. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with tonight on the, on the subject of pain-resistant attackers? Uh, probably this, 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 this last thing I just said. Where get target-specific in your training. Don't just... I'm going to punch him someplace. I'm going to kick him someplace. But think that. It'll take a little while. If you haven't done that, it'll take a little while to get into that mode. And by a little while, if you train two or three times a week, uh, it'll take you two or three weeks. And then you start getting really, really, uh, specific with your, with your hitting. And you'll, uh, and you'll have a, a much greater chance of coming out on top and, you know, in a fight, whether the guy feels pain or not. All right, Jeff jumping back in here, and that marks the end of this special workshop presentation for this week's show. Definitely go check out more of Lauren's stuff. He is still out there teaching people how to crack heads, and I've always loved the practicality of Lauren's work, and especially his experience also as a former police officer who really spent time out on the street using this stuff. Now, you can find him, again, at laurenchristensen.com. And until our next show, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.